The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. The title of our show today is The Better Man, Keys to Consent and Satisfying Sexual Relating. In a post-MeToo era, many men want to take a step away from toxic masculinity, which perpetuates domination and aggression, and consciously and unconsciously pressures men to behave in a certain way. A central theme of moving away from toxic masculinity is sexual consent, whether at a fraternity party, on the fifth date, or in the fifth year of a marriage. The question of consent is one of concern for many men because they're uncertain about how to ask for it. They fear doing something wrong, or they worry that it means giving up on impromptu, much less gratifying sexual connection. They're not alone in their confusion, as their partners are often uncertain about how to respond, how to inform them, and how to share real intimacy. We are so fortunate to have as our guest expert, Dr. Eric Fitzmedrid, who will be drawing upon his new and important book, The Better Man, A Guide to Stronger Sexual Relations and Hotter Sex. Eric's goal is to help men navigate sexual relationships with respect by giving them the skills to be better lovers, partners, and humans. Dr. Eric Fitzmedrid is a therapist specializing in relationship and sexual issues in the San Francisco Bay Area. His specialty is helping men improve their sex lives by learning to regulate their emotions, removing sexual entitlement, and honing their sexual consent and negotiation skills. Eric is a member of the American Association of Sexuality Educators, counselor and therapist. He has published and he has spoken at multiple conferences. He has also trained therapists and taught graduate courses in psychology. Dr. Everett, Eric Fitzmedrid, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So you say that in the era of Me Too, men and women are taking a closer look at toxic masculinity. Eric, let's define toxic masculinity. So I really love being able to define that, especially because for a lot of men, that term sets them on edge and puts them on defense. And I use it consciously, despite that defense, because toxic masculinity is the rigid two-dimensional ideas, uh, sometimes competing ideas about who men should be, how we should be, how we should approach life, and what we should succeed at. And I choose to continue using the term toxic masculinity because it's toxic for us too. When we look at a lot of men's mental health issues, our experiences of isolation, our higher suicide rates, it's clear that the constraints of masculinity are damaging us. Toxic masculinity doesn't mean that all masculinity is toxic. It just means that there is a manifestation of masculinity that hurts us. Mm. So one of the things that people have um, 
decided, and it, it makes sense, and it's certainly the theme in your book, is that one of the antidotes to what happened during the Me Too era um, is sexual consent. And the question is, sexual consent, you know, incompatible with maleness, um, is it possible that people can actually give and get sexual consent? I would tell you that, as I've spoken to people over many years, men and women have a very hard time giving, getting, or speaking about sexual consent. So your book is a very important one. So, uh, you know, I have never thought at, at all that the idea of consent would be antithetical to being men. I mean, if you think even of traditional ideas of men and masculinity, that we are protectors, that we keep the people that we love safe, consent is a tool to do that. It's a way that we can demonstrate our love, that we can demonstrate our protection, that we can keep people feeling warm and safe in our embrace. Well, I think I completely agree with you. And I think, though, for men, and I'm going to say even for women, for as much as everyone watches everything on TV, nothing is left to your imagination, people have a tendency to be self-conscious about talking about sex. They would yes. rather have sex than talk about sex. And yes. so we get we, we hit that wall when we speak about the idea of giving and getting consent most people are going to say to us i don't even know what to say i'm embarrassed so that's yeah. what we're up against that wall for a lot of men shows up because we want to be good men and we get a lot of messages about our sexuality that we're dogs that we're pigs that we only want one thing and so one of the barriers we face as we think about engaging in consent openly clearly is that we would have to acknowledge our desire we would have to ask for what we're interested in and there's a vulnerability in that that we become afraid that when we say openly that we're interested in sex in pleasure in receiving a particular act that we will be judged by our partners and i will acknowledge that there's some legitimacy behind that fear because i've witnessed in my practice partners when men open up beginning to judge or shame them and it's still the only pathway to actually receive the pleasure that we're looking for it's still the only pathway to give the pleasure that our partners desire from us and so that vulnerability and facing that fear courageously is something that i think we need to own up to and I think it's something that not, not only own up to, but getting comfortable with whether a man is married, whether he's in the dating world, whether he's pledging a fraternity and doesn't know what he's doing. It's something that in some way really helps him, helps the woman or the partner and the relationship. So let me let, let me start right out by saying that what do we say? When a partner, or let's say a new partner, someone you're dating, you met them online, you've gone out to dinner a few times, and now they're coming back to your apartment. And you start talking and the person says, Eric, you're embarrassing me. You're actually turning me off by all of the sex talk. 
I can appreciate that. And I appreciate you letting me know that this is embarrassing for you. And we don't have to continue talking about it. But I'll also tell you, if we can't talk about it, I don't feel comfortable doing it. Okay. So what if I what if I use gestures to let you know what's acceptable and not acceptable to me? Which gestures would you use? How would you use them in different situations? Well, how about I just tap you on the shoulder and that means no, we stopping. Okay. How will I know when there's a yes? That's a good question. I guess I guess maybe do you mean that we should stop and I should say this is okay? Or do we want to think about it before? Is that what you're talking about? That we should think about ourselves sexually and talk a little bit about what gratifies us and what would be okay? That's exactly what I'm asking for. I, how am I going to know what we, uh, you know, not just what is pleasurable in what we're doing, but how am I going to know what you want? I might have some ideas. I do have some ideas of what I'm interested in here, but I don't know if those overlap with yours. Some of the things that sound hot to me might sound, you know, off-putting, gross, or demeaning to you, or some of the things you're interested in, I might not be interested in, and I won't know how to give you pleasure if you don't tell me. Okay, so stepping out of our role play for a minute, so we, we see a couple where the, the woman is hesitating for sure, and the man is able to somehow be very patient in response yes. to this. Yeah. Now, I think our listeners might be saying, well, yes, if we could get Eric to be, <laughs> to be the, the prompt for the guys, we've got this down. But help us understand this. And as I mentioned um that the, your book reminded me that if we think men in their 40s, 50s, 70s might need some help on this, our young people really are completely without understanding this. Yeah. You know, there are two things that I think have been coming up in our conversation that I want to highlight. One, it's difficult for us to talk about this because we don't have a culture of talking openly without shame, clearly, factually, scientifically, safety-oriented around sex and sexuality. We don't have a context for doing that um, within our families. It's not very comfortable. It's often awkward. We don't often have a comfort talking about that with our friends. And so by the time we get to trying to have that conversation with a partner, it's often new and surprising to us. We're not used to claiming and acknowledging our sexuality. We haven't had many experiences of naming clearly what turns us on and experiencing it being received without shame. And so we're continuing to be afraid of shame. So the more that we get comfortable with open, frank sexual conversations that are neither salacious nor shaming, the easier it will be for us to have consent conversations all around. And the other thing that I think we're talking about at a certain level is needing to, you mentioned patience. And one of the things that I want to reorient for men in this conversation is we aren't just trying to get consent for our partners. Part of the patience that I hope I was exhibiting in that little role play is a boundary 
I'm not ready to move forward. I don't feel safe here. I feel afraid that if you can't talk with me, that we're going to get into a situation where I've done something that hurt you and that that will come back to me, either in damaging our relationship or in damaging my reputation. I protect myself with consent. I also maximize my pleasure and my sense of self-esteem by making sure that I know how to give you pleasure. I create confidence in myself as a lover this way. Consent is for me as a man, not just something I'm trying to get from my partners of any gender. Well, I'm loving how you're saying this, because even in our role play, when you said that I don't think I can proceed because I don't feel safe, the partner, whoever he or she is, has to take in, well, he's not just using this as a quick way to do what he wants with me. He really has some concerns about this being mutual. And I think we would underscore, most people would agree with us, true consent is really the bottom line of intimacy. There really can't be intimacy that's really beautiful or the mutuality of of, um, displayed intimacy without there being consent. But you're underscoring for us two things. One, it is very difficult for people to talk about it. So we have to start in steps. And at the same time, I think when the person who's asking that we talk about it makes it clear this is not a fast track to getting what they want, it really highlights it in a different way. Yeah, you mentioned kind of it's not the fast track. One of the things that I try to do in my book is to talk about the different goals that we have in sexual encounters. Of course, we're looking for giving and receiving pleasure, but of course, we also are looking to keep our partners safe and to not hurt anyone. And sometimes as our desire intensifies, as we get closer to what we're interested in, our attention focuses on the pleasure. And sometimes it can be easy then to lose sight of the safety and protection-oriented goals. And that's why it's so important to get clear ahead of time ourselves, what is my highest value here? My highest value is not to just experience a little bit of joy. My highest value here is that we both walk away feeling like this was at least safe. Even if it's unpleasurable, I'd rather it be safe. Mm -hmm. And then everything else comes secondary to that. And that does inherently slow the process down, but it also enriches it. Well said. It really does enrich it. I also like uh, in the book where you say, because it's not a race to the finish, um, the option to slow down and say, how are we doing? How is this for you? Mm-hmm. Or And sometimes it's the man who actually is not enjoying it and wouldn't dare say, this is not working for me. Absolutely. And this is one of the things that men have a lot of difficulty with. A lot of our difficulties with um uh, our hydraulics with erectile function come from not experiencing pleasure, but it's very difficult for us to admit that sometimes. Mm. So, and one of the things I just I'm I'm so concerned about college kids. I'm gonna I'm gonna add it to this before we take the break. So, if adult men start to grasp a way of talking about sexual intimacy and joining with the partner and asking, "Is this okay?" 
we are not going to have the situation where a college kid who's had too much to drink is imposing himself on a co-ed boy, girl, whatever, because part of the stories we've heard post Me Too are college kids who really don't know how to speak about this at all. The boys are as intimidated by it, so everyone's drinking and no one has any language for it. So one of the things we want is if our adult men, our dads, can pass on this kind of language and the idea of the power of consent to bring intimacy, we're in a much better place. And we can do that both by having open conversations about sexuality with the young men in our lives, our sons, our nephews, the other people that we have that guidance and mentorship role with, but also by just treating them with consent in non-sexual ways. We respect their bodies. We ask them how to be of service with them. We create a culture of consent in that way. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here with Dr. Eric Fitzmedred, the author of The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. We've been talking about consent, the difficulties, the possibilities, and the importance of it for true intimacy and connection. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You 
are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Eric Fitzmedrid. He's the author of a fascinating and important book, The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. And what Eric and I were just talking about is the online world of dating and the implications that that world has. Whether young or old, people are not sure. Are you supposed to be sexual when you first meet people? Do you, do you kill the whole possibility if you're not? Um, obligatory sex. Um, do men expect sex? Um, do women get involved sexually really with no no joy, but thinking they're supposed to do that? Let's talk a little bit about where men are coming from with that, Eric. So I think that men is such a large category. Many okay. different men are looking for many different things, right? So one of the things that I like to talk about is that for men, one of the challenges we face when we approach our intimate relationship, sexual or romantic, is that often that's the only place that we open up emotionally. It's the only place that we receive touch. It's the only place that we open our hearts and we let people share in our inner thoughts or our inner feelings. And so whether we're looking for sex or romance, one of the biggest and most important things that I think it's important for us to do before we get into the dating process is to make sure that we have a multidimensional well-being behind us, that we have friends, connection, community, people who value and love us that we have built up so that by the time we get to trying to have sex, offer sex to a partner, or offer and get into a relationship with a partner, we're coming to that process and that conversation from a place of abundance rather than a place of scarcity. Mm-hmm. In terms of being needy and ending up in places where you don't want to be appearing needy to any partner. Yes. I mean, if we haven't had human connection in weeks, months, years, by the time we get into a room alone with a sexual partner, we are, to say the least, eager, desperate for connection. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't empower us to be the kind of man that we want to be. And so we need to be living vibrant, connected lives with real people on a day-to-day basis. I like to say, ask the question, if you don't know who would bring you soup, you need a broader social circle. <laughs> okay, that's that's good. So let's let's go let's go another step with our online dating folks. Yeah. Um and they re- and they go right up the age range from 18 to 75. Absolutely. And so the woman has a good time and she is enjoying the conversation so she ends the date by kissing the man. Now, from a man's perspective, is that the cue to becoming more sexual? Does he see it as I had a good time and maybe we'll meet again? Should a woman be cautious about doing that? Should she just follow her instincts? What do you think? All of your questions are oriented to how should you interpret all of what's happening and yes. what message are you sending with that behavior? 
And what I like to do is say, you know, there is no Rosetta Stone for (laughs) decoding any of these things. So if that, if you're the the man, you receive the kiss from this person that you've been out on a date with, and you would like to offer to take things into a more sexual way, you could offer that. Hey, that felt really good, right? You're observing your own internal experience and decoding it for your partner. No decoding necessary by them. Hey, that felt nice. I'd be interested in taking that further. If you would, you'd be welcome to join me. Um, We could go upstairs. We could go into the bedroom. We could see where this could go. And you could also say, hey, that was really nice. Let's take it slow. If you're the man, you don't have to feel obligated to have sex either. And if you are a woman, if you're in any position with a man and you would like to offer a kiss, you could decode all of that stuff ahead of time. You could say, hey, I'd be interested in kissing you. I've been having a really good time, but I'm concerned. I don't want you to take that as meaning that I'm interested in more. You could do all of that before you take it physically. Is that okay? And then you're all on the same page from the beginning. So what what I'm loving that you're saying is authenticity is our answer here. Being your authentic self and staying true to that is actually going to be the best recipe for online dating, regular dating, um, even dealing with married couples. It's the authenticity and the trust about that. So let's go to married couples. Now, in your book, um, you do a whole section on consent in marriage or committed relationships, and you talk about the consent castle. Let's talk about that. So this is not from me. This is from a webcomic called Everyday Feminism. And I love it because it talks about the different ways that we have consent in long-term relationships versus new relationships, whether that's a hookup or even some a relationship that might be a year um, or less. The, con- the concept of the consent castle is that while you're constructing the castle of a relationship, you put on your hard hat, you put on your safety vest, it's a construction zone. And during that time, we use all of our explicit, very clear, affirmative consent processes to really be safe as we build that consent castle. And when a long-term relationship, we develop a repertoire of behaviors, just like we have different parts of our home that we occupy and do pretty generally the same kinds of things in different parts of the house at the same time of day. You know, we wake up in the morning, we go to the kitchen, we make the coffee. You know, later we leave and we go out the front door. We usually go out the same door at the same time. And so that repertoire lets us kind of rely a little bit less on verbal consent processes in a long-term relationship, because generally we can do quick glances, quick nods, quick questions, quick touches, and quick, you know, uh, declined uh, body language, because we have developed that repertoire. But if, especially as happens, or is valuable in a long-term relationship, we're looking to expand that repertoire to reinvigorate a little bit of spice in the long-term relationship because things do get taken for granted over a period of time, or maybe we feel like we've discovered a new thing that we're interested in. Then we're talking about adding on to the castle. 
time to put that hard hat and the safety vest back on. Well, this is new now a construction zone again. And just like in a home, just because you're doing the addition in one part doesn't mean it doesn't affect other parts too. So we need to be more explicit about all of the parts of the consent castle that that con new construction touches. And I want to add to the expansion of the castle of consent. Of course, I do think couples do know themselves over time, but we know as people age, we were talking before the show, um, sexual relating can be compromised by physical impairment, by illness, by many things for men and for women. There's a tendency similar to what you're saying in that we don't talk about sex enough openly in this culture. As much as it's hard to believe, it's very real that a man may be very self-conscious in terms of if he starts to have erectile problems. A woman may be very uh, you know, uncomfortable sharing something about lubrication. But the fact is, those can stop the intimacy in a couple that has had a wonderful marriage for a very long time. So just the permission to talk about it, and even as they're watching a series, think, I could do that. You could do that. I mean, there's a way to bring humor, even if we could never do that. Yeah. There's a way to bring humor into the reality that people change over time, but they don't have to lose the connection. Yeah, we can often in any gender come to believe that what's happening with the hydraulics or the lubrication below the waist is an indication of how I feel in my psychology, or that it's an indication of my value as a lover or a partner. And it's so valuable to disconnect that and to be able to be clear, like, hey, I actually feel aroused. I feel desirous of you. I want something to happen with you. But I'm noticing that my body is responding in a different way than it used to when I'm younger, when I was younger. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we can give and receive pleasure now that our bodies are changing th their processes of responsiveness. And the more open we can be, the more that we can uh, explore other avenues, the more that we can bring in whatever supports we might need you know it's easy to get generally focused too but just what you know our knees do differently at one age versus what they do at a different age also changes which positions might work and which ones might not it's a whole body so there's an adaptive process that's facilitated by consent as we go through the sexual development throughout the lifespan mm -hmm. It reminds me, I did a um, blog on sexless marriages mm -hmm. and um, and underscoring the sexless marriage is often anger, hurt, a feeling of being cast aside. Both can feel it. The problem becomes nobody's talking about it. Yeah. And that's, so the question of how do we resume the fact that we claim we love each other, but we don't treat each other with love and we don't treat each other with interest. So the question is, and you know, I give all kinds of suggestions like, let's go back to the music we danced to. Let, you know, let's go back to something crazy we did and do another do it in some way now. But yeah. it's it's the giving up that is sad. 
Yeah, we have to grieve sometimes the losses of the way it was, the way we hoped it would be, the fact that real life relationships and real developed human sexuality don't look the way that media tells us it will look. And so we need to grieve the loss of those expectations. And that openness to be sad allows us to come into gratitude for what is and then to get creative and collaborative with it. And that's mm-hmm. where the pleasure is. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that you said that <clears throat> I thought of over the years, um, people will often say that they have used a gesture to tell their partner that something doesn't work for them, but their partner continues to do it. What's curious is that they feel a little self-conscious putting the words to it. But you're really letting us know that the permission to put the words to it can change the entire atmosphere of that sexual connection. Yeah, and it's so important to be, again, just go back to your point earlier, authenticity. We don't create pleasure by being unclear or by... Uh, by hiding what's true about what does or doesn't work for us. You know, faking pleasure, faking orgasms, it doesn't actually work. It doesn't, it's not going, that's not going to create more pleasure later. You know, sending a signal that isn't being received and then repeating the same signal isn't going to get it more listened to the next time. Sometimes I'll use this uh, idea of getting to 10, you know, whether if the number of the broadcast signal and the receptivity sensitivity need to get to 10. So if it's a four and a four, that's only eight. So (laughs) if you're the broadcaster, you need to boost the signal in order to get it received so that you get to 10. So... So based on that, I'm going to add that if you're the person who's finding that where you're being touched is more of a turn on, turn off than a turn on, and you don't say anything, we can't go any further. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'll just jump in with, you know, one of the things that is often hard for people too around speaking up about that is that we reserve sexual conversations for sexual moments. And going for a walk out in nature, you know, going to a quiet private corner of a coffee shop and having that conversation when we know sex is not going to happen. Right, right. But let's talk about it. Yes. It, it can shift the context because now we're not also trying to get desire met. Pleasure's not on the line. Now we can just open up the terrain to map it and survey it before we walk the path. It's great. That's a great suggestion. And if it includes, you know what I do like that you do? Oh, then we, then it's a conversation. No one's just being told they're not a good lover. Right. Which means we have to know what creates pleasure, or at least what we would like to try yes. in order to create pleasure. It's much more powerful to invite a partner to do something rather than to only focus on what not to do. Now, one of the things you say in the book is that men often don't know it's okay for them to say no. Mm-hmm. And I, do you know the meatloaf song, um, Paradise by the Dashboard Light? I'm sorry, it, I don't. Okay, so in this song, there's, they're talking about it as if it's a baseball game. And, oh, he's clearing second, he's headed to third base, stop. 
the woman says, stop right there before we go any further. Do you love me? Will you love me forever? And at some point, and he's waiting, he's waiting, he's going, suddenly I couldn't take it anymore. And I swore on my God and my mother's grave that I could love her till the end of time. Now I'm praying for the end of time because I can't be with this woman anymore. But when you said men don't know, they can say no. And sometimes in the heat of a moment, they feel like maybe can't say no, but no to saying no to sex, whether regardless of the gender of the, of the partner is a very important thing that men need to know they can do. Yeah. You know, we need to find our no in order to trust our yes. Yes. It's so important just because a partner is saying yes, even like, well, look for what they look for your partner to say what they don't want. If they haven't told you anything about what they don't want, have a little bit of a grain of doubt in your mind. And for you, whether it's romance or emotions or sex, it's, not only okay, it is vital to your humanity and to protect whatever gifts you are offering in that opportunity for you to name what doesn't work for you too. Mm, okay, we, we're going to take a break. I want you to hold that thought. We, you here, we're speaking with Dr. Eric Fitzmedred, his book, The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and How to Sex. Stay with us. More to come. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Eric Fitzmedridge, his book, The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. And I was just saying to Eric that having had sons, you know, the younger generation, men seem to talk more, express feelings more than the 70 and 80-year-old crowd. Um, what do you think about men and speaking as as a group, Eric? So a lot of men's groups will start with periods of silence, though we aren't used to the kind of back and forth, kind of talking over, jumping in, um, especially when it comes to feelings and relationships with like our women are. If we get silence and we get a period of time to get into our bodies, our feelings, to choose our words carefully, we often can articulate it. And so I don't think of men as less verbal. I think of men as having a different communication style. It's very important, I think, for us to claim that and to ask for the space we need so that we can communicate with our partners skillfully. You know, that reminds me of a guest who was talking about the fact that men, uh, Side by side, they're often watching a game, fishing, but when you give them that freedom and that space, they actually have communicated some very important things, but they're not going to do it like women facing each other and talking. Yeah. In male-female relationships in my office, I will often see that the woman will ask a question, well, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's like this or do you feel it's like that? And then, you know, when there's a five seconds of silence, she'll say, I mean, is it like this or do you like that? (laughs) And she jumps in again. I often need to say, hey, wait, you asked a question. Stop speaking. Give a much longer pause than you are used to with your girlfriends so that he can go through that depth-oriented process and bring up the answer. So a man might cue his partner or end in saying, it's not that I'm ignoring you. Let me just process this for a minute. Yes, please give me time. It takes me a little bit longer to put my thoughts and feelings to words than it does you. Yeah. So, and that's a good refrain to use, even in terms of the back and forth communication on regarding sexual consent. Because if she says, "I don't know," whatever she says, he can buy some time and process and let his feelings come through. And allow yourself maybe to have one consent conversation one time and another conversation following up on that another time. It doesn't have to go from a consent conversation to the bedroom. You can have a consent conversation and build on it over a number of conversations. I have suggested to the women that I love and work with, do not follow him from room to room, keeping the conversation going. If he left the room, we're going to wait for another opportunity. Now, this all this being said, tell us a little bit. Your book speaks about metacommunication. Let's talk about that for a minute. So when I talk about metacommunication, I'm referring to talking about our feelings, intentions, and why we're doing what we're doing as we're doing it. 
So let's say that there was a situation where you were having some kind of intimacy. Let's make it really simple. You were making out and you detected something from your partner, like maybe they weren't as into it as you were. For you to back up and say, I'm backing up because it seemed to me when you moved your head this way that maybe you were not experiencing pleasure like I was, and I was wondering what's going on. You're now demonstrating to the partner with this meta-communication that you're not just backing away, leaving it up to an interpretation. Oh, he's not into me. He doesn't like me. He wasn't experiencing pleasure. You're saying why you were doing it. <laughs> and now there's nothing left for interpretation. I have an intention here, and this is why I'm fulfilling that intention. Now the person can say, oh, well, in order to fulfill that intention, actually, this is what you could do differently. Hey, instead of backing away, just kiss me differently. Hey, instead of backing uh, or maybe they confirm it. Thank you for backing away. I was feeling something, and I did need a little bit of space. It's really nice to know that you had the intention. And so we take all of that stuff that we keep inside, everything that we leave up for interpretation or guesswork or, you know, the guessing games, and we just make it clear. We put it out. Here's what's going on for me. How does that sit for you? So I'm um, thinking of new a new young mother, and she's exhausted. She's exhausted. And he's feeling, I guess that's the end, kids are the end of our sex life. And how long will it take for us to be back? And maybe she doesn't want to be back. So he goes silent. She may not even pick that up. She's so tired. But so this is this is where metacommunication comes in, in terms of making their situations understood. Absolutely. And then as in a situation like that, they also get to share information back and forth, right? One of them says, oh, I've heard that this is often the end of a vibrant sex life for a lot of couples. Another says, well, I've heard that this only needs to last for a year or a year and a half because the woman's body changes during that time, especially if she's breastfeeding. And so they get to talk about the hope to rekindle that part of their sex lives, how they will do that, when they will do that. The conversation is open for maybe there's a day six months down the road where she's like, oh, I do feel something. It's unusual. I didn't expect that. And the conversation's already open because they've already prepared for it and they've already communicated about it. So I'm imagining that there are some men listening thinking, I'm just not that verbal. This Eric guy's really verbal. I'm not that verbal. So I'm I'm wondering. I once did a, a group with couples, and what one couple did, we were talking about ways to communicate. They had this notebook. He would write something, some part of the day. She'd come home. She'd write something, and they really got back. They had, this was after 9/11. Many couples were traumatized. A uniform service couples. Everyone in the group thought this was wonderful. What a good way to go back and forth with how we're feeling that day if we can't or aren't the type to speak about it. But I welcome any suggestions you want to give our fellows out there. Well, I really empathize with the experience, and I think a lot of men do have the experience of I'm just not verbal. And I like to think about this as a skill, and skills can be learned. And that's why metacommunication is way at the end of my book. 
right? I throughout the book, I'm trying to connect to men's pain and isolation, trying to guide men into experiencing and accepting their emotions, regulating those emotions, building up the capacity to know your own sexuality so that you know what you're going to communicate about. This is a stair-step process so that you can begin to communicate in ways that you never thought possible and that you might have thought was just how men are, but is really more about what men are and aren't trained to do. Oh, wonderful. So as we're running out of time, Eric, I want I want to thank you for this is a true gift. Your book's a gift to men and women. Um, what take-home message would you like to send out to all our listeners? Well, I'm going to speak specifically to the men just because that's my audience. And men, I want you to know that you are needed, you are valuable, your sexuality is good, and I hope that my work and the work of other men like me can help you to bring that gift into the world. Know that it's good. There's a place for you. Terrific. Now, how can people find you, Eric, and your book? I'm all over social media at Dr. Eric Fitz, D-R-E-R-I-C-F-I-T-Z. And my website is DrEricFitz.com. There's a link there to my website, and it's available wherever books are sold. I want to thank you again, and I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast. This will be a podcast by 6 p.m. Eastern, and then you can hear it on my host site, my website, but on all the platforms, iTunes, Stitcher. You can even ask Siri. Siri, play Psych Up Live. Um, drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.